0: I saw an article, and there were many articles. Everyone wanted to talk about WeWork uh, after September of 2019 when we failed at an IPO. And there was an article that was done in the New York Times, and it had 10 different Wall Street insiders. And I said, two years from now, where will WeWork be? Nine out of the 10 said bankrupt, non-existent. Wouldn't even exist as a company for 90% of the field to say the company wouldn't even be in business. And today we are, you know, I'll, I'll speak with some ambiguity to protect myself very, very close to becoming a profitable company and thriving. It's literally a miracle. Welcome to invest for the win, where we discuss strategies to win at the game of private investing. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned investor, Tune in to hear experts break down complex topics and reveal emerging trends in private investing. Head over to investforthewin.com to find links to these episodes and additional content. Position yourself to invest for the win. Hosted by the founders of FTW Investments, Logan Freeman, Corey Tuck, and Parker Webb
1: this episode of the Best for the Win podcast, we have Chad McCann, who's the leasing director for WeWork in the Midwest, overseeing a portfolio of a million square feet. Insider's perspective on WeWork is so interesting. They are uh, doing some really cool things with office buildings and communities and uh, businesses. We talk about the future of office, the future of you know, WeWork and co-working spaces—just uh, a really insightful, fun conversation. Chad's a phenomenal individual, so I know you're going to find a lot of value in today's episode. Have fun listening! Thanks for tuning in to another show of the Invest for the Win podcast. As you guys know, we always bring on interesting guests to talk through their experiences and perspectives, and today is no exception. We have Chad McCann of WeWork, and today. We're going to talk about WeWork. We're going to talk about the future of office and one of my favorite topics, leadership and building incredible teams. Chad's the leasing director for WeWork in the Midwest, overseeing a portfolio that spans four different markets. That's Kansas City, Columbus, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have 10 different assets and around a million square feet of office space. Chad's been at WeWork for five years, spread across a variety of different positions, from project management to global sales and now runs a sales team dedicated to working with tenants as small as individual operators to full floor enterprise clients. Chad's here in Kansas City with his wife of 10 years, Chelsea. They have a two-year-old daughter, Sawyer, and they're expecting another girl in April of 2023. Chad, like myself, places his faith in Christ at the center of his life and in all of his decisions, has been truly blessed more than he deserves as a result of that faith journey avid sports fan, former college baseball player. I'm a former football player and a relationship first type of person. So Chad, so excited to have you on. I provided, you know, just a brief overview of who you are and your experience, but tell us through your eyes, you know, how did you get started in this industry in working with and at WeWork? Yeah it's uh it's a great question. First of all,
0: I appreciate the intro. I was I was disappointed you didn't pump in the Chicago Bulls theme music while you were doing that. Um, but uh but I've, that's always been my dream, man. I thought you were going to deliver it for me, but uh no, nonetheless. I um you know the 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 way I got linked up with WeWork and the way I started my journey in commercial real estate, really I like to say this journey really just interrupted my life. Um I was not involved in real estate at all prior to coming to WeWork. I was but I, I was in high level what I call relationship sales. Uh, yeah. I was in um, enterprise or national account sales for an HR company selling full scale from top to bottom HR packages to companies over five thousand employees. and And so I understood the 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 ideology and I understood the framework on uh, what discussions with CEOs, CEOs, CFOs sounded like founders of businesses. And I understood, you know how they like to be dealt with. And uh, so I, I got people, you know, yeah. I've, I've become an avid reader in my adult life. And um, frankly, have been blessed with a number of opportunities to develop that skill set. And so understood people did not understand real estate whatsoever. Um, but as, as odd as it sounds, um, I the way I got started with WeWork was I got, you know, the hundreds of messages you get on LinkedIn from recruiters that you ignore 99.9% of the time. Uh, I got one from WeWork. And and decided, you know what, I don't know, just there was a tug on me that said, why don't you engage this conversation? I wasn't actively looking to leave my company, Um, was doing well there and was very happy. And uh, it took one conversation, introducing WeWork and who they were, this is back in 2016. And um, I did about five minutes of research on the company at that time, for me to decide, this is probably a once in a career opportunity. New York City-based company, rocket ship growth, fastest company ever to a $20 billion valuation. Um, it was just clear skies and something that you probably wouldn't find. Living in Kansas City, those opportunities are limited. Sure. right? So I jumped at the opportunity more from a, um, more from just a scalability and a startup growing very fast and what that looks like. Um, really had nothing to do with real estate being interesting, although that was a side benefit. It was more just the trajectory of the company and knowing that those opportunities in a market like Kansas City don't come along. So I, I jumped at it and uh, got started. And I was like late 2017 as when I came on board with WeWork. And and that was a time when WeWork was really uh, it was growing with, uh, you know, unfortunately, at that time, we called it growth at at uh, at no cost. Right. So growth at all costs, I should say, actually. And um, and so yeah, I've been with WeWork ever since. And you know, it was because I knew nothing about real estate, you know, as you know, Logan, when you started the business, uh, your job is just to shake a bunch of hands and kiss a bunch of babies and ask a lot of questions. And and that was what I did for about two years. Uh, I, I just asked a lot of questions. I I took on very much a a mentee style of of a role with people and just I asked to get as many coffees as I possibly could with real estate brokers and developers and just pick their brain. Hey, I'm new to the industry. Don't know a whole lot, but would love to learn what you've learned uh, just over a 30 minute cup of coffee. And thankfully there was enough people willing to take that coffee um, that I ended up meeting some really good people along the way and creating a really good base foundation of the commercial real estate market.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I do want to kind of peel back the onion a little bit on that. You know, when you would meet with these individuals, you know, I think a lot of people are intimidated about, you know, just reaching out and saying, hey, let's let's get a coffee or let's let's get to know each other. You know, what did you, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's my curiosity, you know, what did you bring to that conversation to keep the conversation going or even pique their interest enough to say, um, you know, hey, I'll meet with you and, and spend some time. Like, what was that and, and how did those conversations go? I'm just really curious.
0: Sure. Well, I think for starters, number one, uh, it helps to, you know, it helped me to be working for a company that was all over the news at the time for its growth, right? So I can't take credit for, you know, I had some secret script or, you know, my my um, my silver tongue was so good that these people just wanted to meet with me. Like, the reality was I was working for one of the fastest growing companies in the space and in the whole world. And everyone was very curious about WeWork's decisions and moves at that time. But I think Even just setting that to the side, I do think there is an art that humility tends to disarm people Mm -hmm. and people are attracted to someone who wants to learn, especially if they feel like they actually can teach you something. And if you feel like you can provide value to someone and that someone is actually willing to absorb what you have to teach, man, that that makes me feel good. If I feel like I can offer value to someone and they see that value, I want to go spend time with that person why because i was there at one point and i wish i had more people who are willing to do it so i think a lot of it was just really coming from a place of humility saying hey you know i've i've seen you've had some really good success in the industry i'm brand new in the industry probably very similar to where you were 15 20 25 years ago you know i've always been taught it's not what you know it's how you think and i'd love to grab a cup of coffee and just pick your brain on what you've learned the last 20 years if that's okay yeah. and i think that i think that that willingness to be coached is an attractive quality for leaders to say, this is a guy that's going to be fertile soil. I'm going to go seek my teeth in. Who knows what could happen? And the right kind of people will, will meet with you.
1: Beautifully said. And I've used the same exact methodology to meet with some incredible mentors that have, now turned into investors business partners whatever I mean you, you it's always like you ask for feedback and people are going to give you one thing you ask for advice and you're going to get what you really want you disarm people when you ask for advice because yep. who doesn't want to give advice or you know feel like they've got something to communicate uh, and help somebody well most people do at least there, there might be some people you don't want to do <laughs> so uh, methodology, I think that's that's really phenomenal
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I, there's, you know, you've been in real estate long enough. You know, there's people ego exists in every industry, but it certainly exists in real estate.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, uh,
0: so yeah, I mean, there was obviously there are certain figures that, that, um, that carving out the time wasn't a value to them, but there's enough. And uh, persistence with that kind of stuff is usually what wins out in the end.
1: The other thing that stood out was the humility piece, you know, our uh, core values here at FTW are be humble, have grit and work with competitive greatness. And so, grit from Angela Duckworth's great book, you know, Grit. You know, you got to You get this is a knife fight every single day. You got mm-hmm. to have some some grittiness to you. Be humble just because you succeeded last week, last you know, yesterday, last month, last year does not mean that you're going to going forward. And so you got to be humble and have that approach and the competitive greatness, being at your best when your best is needed. That's the pinnacle of John Wooden's pyramid of success that I have just. Um, tried to embody in my own life on a regular basis. What an incredible coach to take that program at UCLA and win however many, tra- you know, championships that he did. I just love um, that uh, whole methodology of the, the pyramid of success. I think it's phenomenal. So I think humility is very important for any aspect of, of your life if you want to continue to become a better version of yourself. And I can definitely just talking with you for a few minutes here, um, know that you embody that same type of mentality. And so that's uh, that's great to hear. And I love, I love the humility piece for sure.
0: I love that. I, I, I didn't know I was going to come on here and add two more books to my book list, but I've already got a couple more that I'm going to put down there. I've heard grit multiple times. So it's probably a sign that I need to pick that one up.
1: Yeah, I'm a real big, um, you know, so I love to learn about different books, but I love books that are backed in research. So a lot of these Harvard professors that put research-backed books out, uh, whether or not their research is flawed or skewed to their book, you know, that's a different conversation. (laughs) but uh, she came highly recommended. And so just books like that. And then, you know, if you have the success that John Wooden did, and he took the time before he passed away to sit down and try to distill that into you know, actionable thoughts. And now it's widely used across the United States, and I'm sure across the world. Uh, It's just phenomenal reading. So, um, but one thing that you might check out is uh, Brian Johnson's uh, new app called Heroic. He's formerly of Optimize, took all of these books like Grit, uh, like John Wooden's book, like Ray Dalio's books, and uh, did what what he calls philosopher notes. So uh, just putting people up on game here. If you don't have time to read a full book, go check out Optimize, or heroic app, and you can get 25-minute book basically reviews or summaries, which then will help you dictate you know, your decision if you want to go read the full book. So highly recommend that as well. I'm loving the new app. And it's all about stoicism and philosophy and things like that. And I, I, I'm just a big philosophy type of guy um, in actuality. So um, just something you might want to check out, Chad, That's awesome. if you uh, are interested in that. Okay. So maybe somebody here, you know, is listening in and they don't know what WeWork is, or they don't know the story about WeWork, or the business model, or anything like that, start yep. wherever you want, but give us the, you know, the the overview of what WeWork is, um, the the story of the last couple of years, five years, whatever it is, for your journey that you've been on, and let's just start there, break it down, and then I'm sure we'll have plenty of conversations after that.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I would say in a nutshell, very simply, uh, WeWork is a global flex space operator, and when I say flex space, I mean, uh, you know, what real estate has been attacked for more than maybe anything over the years being very rigid and legalistic in the way that it operates. It's operated the same for decades and decades. And and we have innovators come along and say, we're going to look at this a little bit differently. Um, number one, you, you don't make a lot of friends. Uh, there's a lot of people doing things the wrong way. One of my favorite movies of all time, obviously being a baseball guy is Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the best scene of that movie is the last scene uh, when the owner of the Red Sox is sitting down with Billy Bean and Brad Pitt in the movie and and uh, he's wanting to make an offer to him to be the GM of the Boston Red Sox. And he says, what you're doing, you know, the first guy through the door always gets bloody. Uh, because anybody touches anytime someone wants to go and do something different than that's industry standard, you threaten other people's livelihoods, you threaten their nature of doing things, you threaten their comfortability and status quo is a very easy place to stay uh, and that people don't really like change. And so, you know, we were really did that uh, with the commercial real estate space. And um, so, you know, company started, you know, over o- about a decade ago, and initially was a, a typical co-working company. So if you're, if you're familiar with a Regis, where, you know, you go in and you have turnkey solution, or you've got a desk, and you've got a, a space to work, you've got some printing, and, you know, you can sign flexible lease agreements in the you know, call it six to two year range where you don't know where the future of your business looks like and you don't want to tie up debt obligation for seven or 10 years. So, you the know, old school days, you went to Regis and you waited to see what would happen with your business over a one to two to three year period. And if you established your business then you went and signed a direct deal with a longer lease and a traditional landlord. Um, what were came in and did is essentially flip the Regis model on its head. We turned in a very similar co-working model where we offer uh, office space. Uh, really, the first five years of our business, we offered office space anywhere from solo entrepreneurs, independent contractors, uh, self-employed entrepreneurs, uh, all the way up to maybe smaller, medium-sized businesses that maybe have 20, 25 employees, but are uncertain of what their future looks like. Um, they don't have to put in upfront capital expenditure to build out an office; it's already done for them. Maybe they even don't want to have—they don't have that liquidity or that cash to part with, so they're willing to pay a premium month over month. just have all the office stuff done for them. They they don't want to deal with the coffee and the espresso and, you know, the amenities. They just want someone to do that for them. So, you know, they come to WeWork or a a co-working space alike and they pay them to do all of those things. But from a design perspective, WeWork brought in some of the top designers and architects, really the most talented people from all over the world. Um, At one point, we had Bjork Ingalls, who was our lead architect and He's really crafted some of the most incredible, incredible spaces, not just office spaces, but uh, really just spaces in general all over the world. And so you walk into a WeWork and you really feel like you're in a, you know, I say you feel like you're an upscale coffee shop, Um, but it barely got rid of the nature and, and really became a flexibility play. And in the beginning, I would call it first five years of company, companies came to WeWork for two reasons and two reasons only. The first reason was they needed flexibility. They were uncertain of their headcount changing or their business changing. Number two, if they didn't need flexibility, they needed a culture shift, mm-hmm. right? So really, we WeWork did some dives into saying, if we could build a space and base our lighting, our furniture, our spacing, our artwork, our design, and we really based that on psychology and what creates productivity in employees. And we said, hey, if you've got an organization of 30 employees What's going to create the most productive employee who wants to spend time in your office space? And what is the bottom line difference? What kind of an effect on a PL does a lack of turnover have on your business? You know, when I worked for an HR company, we had a staff. We the company is a major payroll company as well and pays one out of every four Americans. So they had all this data on payroll and job seekers and retention. And they they calculated that one if if one employee who churns or leaves the company that it could cost you up to four times their annual salary to come to replace them by the time you pay the recruiter and you pay the training and the dead time and everything else so if you could eliminate turnover in your business because your employees so much like the culture of the space you're in what does that do to your bottom line you know, what does that do to a PL and l of a business? Even though you're not seeing it upfront directly from a real estate cost perspective, but it's not an HR cost that gets eliminated. And so it was a culture or a flexibility play. And that was the business for about five years. And really we were hit a, a pivot, I wouldn't say a pivot, but they really, they they um, they innovated and they, they expanded their portfolio of offerings. And in 2000, I would say 18 or so, we started uh, diving into the enterprise sector. And when I say enterprise sector, You know, Fortune 500, right? Companies with 10,000 employees and up, where we started partnering with companies like Bank of America and Facebook, now Meta, uh, Amazon, uh, Stripe, some of these major corporations that they realized hey, if we're going to attract the best talent, we've got to shift up our model. We can't continue sending people to, uh, a white box floor plate with 200 cubicles and really not much energy. WeWork's done a really good job at really creating that a community of energy, and so but and they said that, but then they said, but you know what? But we don't want co-working space. We need privacy. We need privately demised space. We need the branding of us, not WeWork. So we started catering to that. And about 55, you know, there's a lot of holes in the story, but speeding up the story, about 55% of WeWork's business today is that segment of enterprise business where companies today essentially say like we need flexibility because we don't know what the future holds for our business and especially you know the pandemic and what's that what that's done to office strategy and workplace strategy and who's moving to a hybrid who's not who's work from home who's not the 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 benefit of we work is we've turned into a catch-all for uncertainty you know like we can build out a 20,000 square foot floor plate for one company Um, you know, like a, you know, we just, we did a deal here in Kansas city with a major financials firm, major institutional bank that would never be in a co-working space, but they loved the WeWork build out. They wanted the flexibility of a two-year lease and they didn't want to put up upfront CapEx to build a new space because they didn't know if this strategy of hybrid work was going to last. So they came to us and they signed a deal for 25,000 square feet at WeWork and, um, and then. And so that's really how our business has evolved today is in into more of an honestly an enterprise play um but we still have that bread and butter we've got that foundation about 45% of our business is still co-working and that will really never go away because you're always going to have especially as you know Logan more than I every recession gets there's way more of a startup community gets burst out of recessions if we really are headed for a true deep recession here which of course no one knows but there are more businesses started out of recessions than there are at any other time and so the need for co-working traditionally will always be there, but the benefit of WeWork has now is at scale. We can do things at scale to have to offer companies like Amazon and the like um, to say we can we can give you flexibility too, and we can give you all the privacy and security you also need. So that's that's really where the company is today. And then there's a lot of anecdotes within that, whichever direction you want to go.
1: Well, I want to ask a clarifying question. So when that you know, large banking institution came to you guys and said, we need 25,000 square foot. Are they in your WeWork building? Are they in a different building? Or how does that model work? Because it's got me really interested as we continue to grow and and think about, you know, different space and retention, which is, you know, and and having a really cool place to come and work. You know, I think that as I have talked to more business owners and things like that, um, the hybrid question keeps coming up. My wife works at VML. She's you know, supposed to go into the office, and I don't know if she is or not. I don't think she is really. And so, my, <laughs> my curiosity has peaked on on that. But like, is that twenty five thousand square foot in a building that that work is, um, you know, already in, or are you building that out in a different building?
0: Both. So oh. in in this in this case in Kansas City, we typically traditionally we WeWork will go into an office tower and they'll say, hey, we're going to take call it sixty to one hundred thousand square feet. We'll take four to six floors in a stack. And then we'll hold a floor or two within that stack or maybe three to be for single tenant users. We'll build it out already, but it'll be waiting for a user. So the benefit for that company is they have access to the entire footprint of WeWork within those six floors, but they're the only one that has access to their floor or two, right? So they get the ultimate privacy, but they get all the amenities of the rest of the WeWork location. Now, there are other deals. We've done deals. Uh, where we've done management agreements or we've done rev share agreements where we've done you know in detroit we've done several of those where we've you know taken what we call tenant in tow scenarios where a client comes to us and says hey we want to partner with you guys will you help us find space um and then we'll work out a deal on the back end economically that makes sense for the both of us and and so we we've really done all kinds of things but the biggest thing is they they don't want to sign a 10-year lease so we gotta go to wework and what is, we, at scale, what can we work do to find us that space? So whether it's in a current location or we're co-in unison finding another location for that, um, we've done both in both scenarios.
1: Really cool, because the question behind the question is, for me, as I start to evaluate uh, opportunities from a real estate investment standpoint, I, I don't think office is going away at all. I think it's changing. It's kind of going through the same retail change that happened five, six years ago, but- Let's say I go buy a 150,000 square foot office building and it's maybe 50% occupied, come to WeWork and say, hey, we got to get this thing occupied up and build out four or five, six floors of this type of, of community and WeWork space and we can go attract tenants to pay. That's a really interesting model that I just, I wasn't really necessarily aware of, but it's got me kind of my my wheels are spinning in regards to you know going and buying an office building and being able to position something uh, like that. So very very cool uh, and yeah. I love it. so that's catering to a whole different type of of user, but also can be the resurgence of of an office building that you know maybe had a really hard time leasing up for a certain reason. So that's a interesting model, Chad. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah
0: yeah well it's interesting because it's really it's so mutually beneficial because. What the pandemic did is it forced landlords to get off, it forced them to think different. Mm -hmm. And it because if you just, you know, listen, you've got a building with whether it's 10 floors or a 25 floor stack, you need to have a differentiated offering within that stack to separate yourself. And so, you know, for us adding a WeWork value prop to your building, where even if you have tenants doing direct deals with you in other buildings, well, what if they scale out of that? Well, they can go right downstairs to where we work and scale into it while they determine what they're going to do long term. You know, we've seen that at Lightwell in Kansas City. We've seen that in Minneapolis at a couple of our assets. And so from a landlord, it really diversifies your stack. And then from a, a tenant perspective, and I've talked about this till I'm blue in the face. I feel like, you know, anyone who knows me is sick of hearing me say this, but you cannot build culture exclusively through a remote model. It's very, very difficult for you and I, you know, listen, if we were sitting together over lunch right now, um, I would feel so much more naturally connected to you than over zero. That's just human nature. Right. Um, so company, these big corporations, you know, like a Garmin or a U.S. bank, or a, they're saying right now, they're in a very peculiar position because they're saying, how do we maintain that level of culture? Because the, here's what CEOs are afraid to do. All right. Five days a week back in the office because they're afraid they're gonna lose people, right? So how do they balance what they need versus what their employees are asking for? Now, I will say this, I love hearing you say you're bullish on the office market because I think I I couldn't, and I even take my WeWork hat off, I, I couldn't agree more because everything is cyclical. For the last two and a half to three years, employees have had all the leverage because of what happened during 2020, but that will shift. And the, the the leverage will go back to the employer because an employee won't be able to say, well, hey, if you don't let me work from home four days a week, I'll just go to XYZ company who will let me because there will not be those options. And so you will see even more of a return to office than you've ever seen, in my opinion, heading into the middle to the late part of next year. Uh, and I just think that'll be, And it, but if you don't have flexibility to offer as a landlord within that model, then you're going to miss a lot of that catch, yeah. so to speak.
1: I I couldn't agree more. I mean, you think about the psychology and the literal makeups of strengths and weaknesses of people. Some people do really, really well being able to work from home and they are disciplined. They know what they need to do. They're okay working in the same space that they live. Other people, absolutely on the other spectrum. So you throw a blanket on this and say, everybody can work from home. I cannot imagine that productivity is where it needs to be. On, on from that from that standpoint certain individuals yes but i can't wait to see the tests that come out from gallup or culture index that say you're going to take this yep. test and how you score on this test is dependent on if you have the ability to be flexible or not because you run a sales team i run sales teams it, you have two different types you have one that needs to come into the office that's their war zone they're rocking out and they honestly they don't want to work where they're living. Well, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of people still live in apartments. And if you are in a one bedroom apartment, your kitchen table or your bar is now your workstation. And I know for me coming into my office, I can't work from home. My wife's there. My kids are probably there sick from school or something like that, you know, all that stuff. And there's more distractions. I come in here. It's like, boom, I shut that door if I need to. And it's, it's on, right? I mean, it's just, so much more productive. and so i'm really curious to see some tests or some studies that are done over the last and everybody said oh you know productivity is up and i'm like compared to what you know like a bad working <laughs> environment maybe, maybe a bad working yeah. environment, but not a good working environment and not a good culture. so i'm really curious i'm i'm watching for these studies that are are going to be done and uh new tests and 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 traits that uh, will come out to say you know what? You you are the type of person that can work uh, from home because let's be honest, Peter Linneman, Dr. Peter Linneman is an economist, uh, real estate guy. He is very much of the opinion that CEOs need to get people back in the office. Obviously, you know, he's in his 70s, so let's just put that out there that he was always, you know, in an office, whatever. But that being said, how can I directly lead somebody if they're over a Zoom or over a phone call or over Slack. And I know that at certain companies that people have taken a job and never met anybody. So there's two things there. One, you're not getting the easy, hey, I have a question for you. I have to Slack it and maybe it comes back in in three hours or four hours or two, the culture of the actual company. And And then three, one thing that I know Peter Lineman and a bunch of other people have said, okay, if two people are... Exactly the same in, re- in regards to production and time at a company, but one person has been coming into the office, building a relationship, and the other person's been working at home from a Zoom. Who is getting that promotion? Who's getting that promotion? So fear yeah. of the promotion. I-, I think you called it like FOMOP or something like that. Fear of missing a promotion or something like that. I said, that's huge in career development and trajectory, right? I mean, I, I think that's... Yeah. That's maybe my one-sided opinion and approach to that. But being a business owner, we love coming into the office. If you need to stay home for a little bit, fine. But having a dedicated workspace and the collaboration—I I don't know how you do that over over you know what we're doing. Well, right
0: now. Well, here. I mean, and you even flip it to really the more the further downside of you know you called it the opportunity of promotion, opportunity cost of not being seen. But you know, as we head into 2023 with a lot of economic uncertainty the reality is unemployment's going to go up this is not fear-mongering this is just reality this is like a historical data it's already going up you see what happened what amazon announced this week what meta announced last week obviously tech always gets hit first but twitter you know tw- you know t- yeah absolutely and, and people want to in my opinion they, they want to demonize certain uh companies but this this is normal stuff in these sorts of times if you really educate yourself on that and and i think. Naturally, what organizations do is they they overhire, they create fluff in times of growth. But it always has to shrink back at the end of the day because business ebbs and flows, as you know. But when you're looking at two employees on who you're going to keep and who you're not going to keep in an economic recession, man, I sure bet I want to be the person that they've seen, you know? And so it's a very interesting topic in that regard on what office space will do. but you know, I, WeWork's been an interesting, you know, because everyone asks me who, who who isn't in real estate, they, but they know I'm in office real estate. Everyone's like, oh, man, is we're it, really rough right now. Like no one's in the office. And I'm like, it, it's actually the contrary. It, it may be that for traditional landlords in some ways, but WeWork has really, this is the irony. And I, you saw the documentary, maybe all your listeners haven't heard the story, but You know, when we, in September of 2019, when the company tried to IPO and was in no financial position to do that, the company almost completely crashed uh, and was saved by their lead investor, SoftBank. Um, And the irony is the pandemic is saving the company because without the pandemic, the need for flexibility, it would be there, but not even close to where it is today. And so it's really funneling all these needle moving companies, these major corporation enterprise companies to WeWork because there's not enough sublease space on the market. Because here's what a sublease can't do. A sublease, you don't get WeWork's, WeWork gets to overlay their design, their architects, their IT, all of these teams that we have internally. We don't hire out any of those. All of it's done in-house. So when you come to WeWork with a project, we overlay all of our teams. You don't, hire, you don't have to hire you an architecture firm if you want to build out a space where we work, we'll do it for you. Right. You don't get that with a sublease, right. You know, you, you, you walk in, you just take it for what it is. Right. And so it's been very, very interesting. I, I've been at times and it's still ebbed and flowed, you know, like listen, CPI data came out last week and it was good. So everyone thinks it's just, gr- you know, green pastures and the market's going up and um, we've had some more inquiries over the last week than we had over the previous few, but in general, we've been very busy. Yeah, and uh, and we're overall very very healthy right now. I think WeWork is in a better position as a company um, to turn a profit here very very soon, which most people said would never happen ever. Um, than than we've ever been, and and it's really thanks to this uh, this this forced innovation in people's minds.
1: Well, what an interesting and very very cool opportunity to be at the forefront of this flexibility movement. And uh, be, you know, a leader in the space while we go through this transition from companies to, you know, being, being, work from home or working in the office. I think that's really interesting. Um, it fascinates me because I'm, I, I, if I have loves or passions in my life, it's one is my faith, it's my family it's my fitness okay and then my future in that future I try to optimize and I'm I'm always trying to optimize different things and my work is a big one that I want to optimize go to Cal Newport deep work you know all these different things time blocks trying to batch certain things I only do recordings of podcasts on Tuesdays you know back to back you know so all of these different ideas and what what's fascinating to me to think through is okay you know, you go to a WeWork. And I actually got a chance early on in my career when I worked at a different company, had some space down at, at WeWork. We were able to use it at Corrigan Station. And I loved it, man. I just felt a different energy, that uh, life force within me that inspired me to, to work harder and, and, and do different things. I felt cool. I felt a part of something. And that is the beauty and the um, and, and the mystical kind of uh, piece of of WeWork that really shone through to me on the uh, documentary that I watched, and that's not easy to create, uh, let alone in your own business, but in a business in a floor plate or a building with different businesses. And you know, yeah. I always say that you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Well, if you've got a startup and you've got three to five people. What what happens if you're right next to another startup in a different industry going through the same thing and working through the same resources and you can share people and, and network and connections? I mean, that's that's valuable. Huge. That's huge, huge. It's valuable. And so you know, I think that's a really cool component that gets lost. Uh, with people who have never experienced a rework or maybe even run a small business or been a part of a small business is that uh, collaboration uh, aspect and it, and that that energy that that I felt when I was there for a very short period of time and what I've tried to create um, you know in our own works workstations which I I just find fascinating and, and and it's a great way to be optimization of of productivity if you can keep people's morale at a certain level. So I, I yep. think we did a nominal job at that.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's what we, we continue to, to press into. And hopefully the market continues to agree. You know, I I uh, I love you know, people ask me all the time, why are you still there? Because we've been through a lot. Sure. And um, you know, you work for a big corporate company, you don't always get I used to say we work was the best balance because we were a startup, we really weren't a startup, but we considered ourselves a startup uh, back in you know 2016, 17, 18. And so you got a lot of flexibility and autonomy on the ground um, because you didn't have the corporate structure in place yet, uh, but you had the massive backing of a big corporate company. And so you really kind of got the best of both worlds. Well now, obviously, WeWork has certainly turned, I, I call it you know, the, the shift in 2019 um, when, when I say the adults were brought into the room and the sea level turned over. Um, and so we, we very much do have more of a corporate company today, but one thing that has not changed, it's Sandeep, our CEO, Continue to recognize and make sure he does not stray from is that there is a certain uh magic about community and what human how human psychology works. And you know, Adam Newman caught a lot of flack for what some people said was just a fugazi product. And and you know, is there maybe some truth to that? Maybe, uh, because he certainly had to had a, an ability to tell a story that. Was interesting at times, but I think there's actually you know more merit to what he created and pitched as a vision for people and businesses and people's lives than people give him credit for. Because man, if you believe that by the that this the the the, the space you work in is going to change your life outside of work, if you actually believe that and that actually happens even a little bit, that's never happened. In office space real estate ever. Right. And and he he really created this vision for man, people walk out of our locations and our spaces and they're happier, they're more optimistic, they've had more human interaction, they're more productive. How does that change how they are when they get home? Right. How does that change their family dynamic? Right? And and I think Adam went a little bit too far where he really got people thinking that we were gonna change families, but you know, there is some actual truth to it. So and uh, and so, so that that's where we're at today. And you know it's funny, I'll, I'll say this, and i'll'll I'll shut my mouth. I'll let you let you talk. But this two thousand December of two thousand and nineteen, just to give maybe some of your listeners some perspective on how crazy the WeWork story is, I'm a sports guy, right? So I always reading these articles on ESPN on like free agency predictions. right so this here's where Aaron Judge is going to resign. This year for the Yankees, right? This and you got ten analysts, and they all pick their pick, right? Well, I saw an article, and there were many articles, many, 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 many. Everyone wanted to talk about WeWork uh, after September of 2019 when we failed in an IPO. And there was an article that was done in the New York Times, and it had ten different Wall Street insiders. Um, some who worked for a big banks, some who didn't were just reporters, others who were hedge fund managers and a bunch of who's who on Wall Street. And I said, Two years from now, where will we work be? Nine out of the 10 said bankrupt, non-existent, wouldn't even exist as a company. And so for 90% of the field to say the company wouldn't even be in business, and today we are. You know, I'll I'll speak with some ambiguity to protect myself. Very, very close to becoming a profitable company and thriving. It's literally a miracle. And a lot of it is a lot of it is good timing and luck. And I actually don't believe it. Fortune, good fortune um, with the pandemic. But a lot of it's been great leadership from our C-level because we already had it. It was never a it was never a bad product. I always said we work in the old days was kind of like your favorite Chinese restaurant you love the food just don't go back in the kitchen. <laughs> and so so it's always a great product the financial books were just always not very good. Yeah. Um but now that we've kind of right-sized that and we've done some right-sizing with our portfolio with leases that just didn't make sense. Um but at the end of the day uh, we're in a very very good position to tackle the future from this point forward.
1: Well, it's fantastic to hear that and everybody's watching what Mr. Newman has in store for the apartment sector as well uh being a mm-hmm. investor owner operator ourselves when he signed up um you know whatever investment bank it was I forgot who it was but Gordon Horowitz or something like that, uh, for- and that well that's what's that's what's crazy not to interrupt you but Andreessen Horowitz
0: yeah. is one of the most well-known private investors very successful track record so the fact that his name was attached to Adam Newman, And not only was it attached, he wrote the single largest check that he has ever written to any individual or entrepreneur or business.
1: (laughs) Mind-blowing and everybody's watching to see. I've heard some really smart people think about or make predictions on what it is and what it could be. And um, if he stays in that business model, which I just... High level, what I understand could be flow is, okay, we have, let's say 50 properties in every, you know, top 50 metro, somebody's relocating from flow, Austin to flow San Antonio, right? So you keep occupancy levels really high. And if you can beat market average occupancy and have a community aspect, so people are willing to pay maybe above market rents. You have a recipe for a lot of success in the apartment world. So, um, and bringing that technology component, maybe some ref sharing type of, you know, building up to to put the golden handcuffs on people and keep them to stay. There's a lot of merit in what in what's that's what's being said here, and if it can be done, I am I am watching and I am. Uh, staying in tune very much so because uh, community engagement across our own portfolio is its own perspective and whole own challenge. So if you can create that nationwide, um, really cool idea. So anyways, I love innovators. I love disruptors. I love you know seeing people challenge uh, industries that haven't ever been challenged before. This has been a super insightful conversation. Before I ask you my, my last question, do you have any more thoughts on flow that you want to, you want to add to that? Um, Am I way off base or uh, any ideas there? You know, I, I, I can't
0: speak. I can't say that I'm super educated on his plans for flow. I've, I've read a little bit, of course, you're naturally curious, uh, working for WeWork anytime you hear Adam Newman's name, but um, here, here, here's what I will say um, that I think is fair is you know, one of my favorite, uh, you call it a poem. I don't even think it's a poem. Quotes is the man in the arena. It's hanging Sierra up on Roosevelt. my
1: wall. It's hanging up on my wall right here.
0: And my dad, uh, incredible father. Uh, parents I'm still married today. Been married for forty years, which is a rarity within itself in this world. And. Um, did very, very well for himself in financial services, life insurance uh, over the course of his career, retired five years ago. And he he, he he took that quote and for Christmas one year, he asked that I memorize it and recite it to him. And uh, I was 13. And uh, I just think about it now and I just had no, you know, when you're a kid, you're just a punk, you know, it's almost an annoyance to do that. And I think back now and I almost just weep at how rare of a father I had as a 13-year-old to say, this is what I want you to do. And what that's done for me down the line, kind of a side tangent, but man, fathers are so important. We need more of them in this country who are doing the right thing. But, um, but the, the, the quote, it starts, where it's not the critic who counts, right? And I think Adam Newman. the higher you get, the more success you have, by default, the more critics you will have. And I think, did Adam Newman deserve criticism? 100%. Uh, was he complicit in some of the poor decision making? Absolutely. Uh, could he and sh- should he have done things different? Yes, he should have. Um, but I think what he did do right. There are very few people on this earth who would ever even be willing to attempt to do it. And uh, he's a serial entrepreneur. He started seven businesses before we worked. that all failed. Most people after their first or second one, they're done. They're going to work a job. You know so. Uh, so he was a visionary and a charismatic character unlike anyone i had ever been around. He just drew you in and made you feel when you left his presence, you felt like you could go make a difference. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for people like that. And so, you know, WeWork would have never been what it is without him. In a perfect world, he would have handed the reins off just a tad sooner. Sure. Right. But it never would have gained the traction that it did without him. And so now as he transitions and people are like, Oh, what do you think about Adam Newman? You know, people think he's a con artist, you know, he, he kind of ruined all these these relationships and people's futures with WeWork. And I say, listen, like logistically, the reality is Anderson Horowitz is probably going to have tighter clamps on Adam Newman than SoftBank did. I can guarantee you. Um, um, so logistically it probably is just going to be safer, but I am going to be the last person to ever doubt or question Adam Newman being able to scale a business idea. I mean, how silly, right? And he, you know, what he's doing with Flow, he, in a way, he's he's actually tried to start with WeWork. It was called WeLive. It was another arm of WeWork. It it was literally, it was like a two-year project that just kind of fizzled out. But I, you know, ultimately, I'm not going to put anything past that guy. And I think that if he if he really has learned what we talked about at the very beginning of this, if he learned a little bit of humility and he's learned um, some coachability, which I'd like to think and hope that he has, um, I think he could be widely successful uh, with what he's doing with flow. And I don't, I don't understand the model completely, but I understand he knows how to build community and he's very creative within real estate. And there's actually a lot of landlords that are very intrigued to work with him if they know that he doesn't just have carte blanche rate. And so I'm very curious to see what happens. Only, the only, you know, only God knows what will happen in the future with that. But I'm not going to doubt him as an entrepreneur whatsoever.
1: Fair enough. Makes a lot of sense. Love the man in the arena. Look at Teddy Roosevelt every single time I walk into my office. So I appreciate that and just inspired me to give my kids when they're 13 a Christmas gift that your dad. you so thank you for sharing that with you with the audience and with me as a father uh chad okay one of my favorite questions i love to understand people's intrinsic motivation i think i have a feeling i know what the answer is here but what inspires you why do you do what you do man
0: oh man i i mean i i i don't want to um I don't want to uh, filter myself here. I, again, I, I know you're pretty outspoken with your own audience, but um, for me personally, just totally honest, it's uh, it's that motivation to hear those faithful words at the end of the road, well well done, my good and faithful servant. And um, I that, that's so easy to say. It's so hard to actually live out. And um, I would say, you know, if without Christ – without the the, the living Lord in my life there, I've learned so much over the last two and a half years being a father, where I realized in so many moments, Chad, you got a lot of work to do, (laughs) you know, you are one selfish human being. And it's a humbling experience. As you know, you're further down the road than I am, but having children has given me a glimpse on what it's like to have a heavenly father and how much I love my daughter, but it still pales in comparison to how much he loves me. And I just, I find myself so much more uh, free, so much more high spirited, so much more energized and refreshed um, when I know I'm in lockstep in that relationship. And, uh, you know, my motivation here on earth is, is my family and not just my family, but really there's, there's an old ideology that it talks about. Some people will take themselves and they'll draw a circle around their family and their friends, other people will take themselves and draw a circle around their close community. But the real dent in the universe makers will take a circle and draw it around an entire generation of influence. And so my motivation has always been, man, how can I be an open vessel to allow God to influence who he wants to influence? So he didn't have to go utilize somebody else. And it's not by my doing, by the grace of God, I get to experience him influencing other people and watching other people's lives change. But, you know, outside of WeWork, my wife and I run a financial coaching and literacy business that's it's scaled fairly well over the last uh, call five to seven years. And we have an opportunity to really sit in living rooms and dens with people. And yes, the onset is financial. Or it really becomes more life mentorship. And that's really what energizes me is is getting a chance to speak into people's lives and know that I'm just a messenger carrying this message. But I'm going to be obedient to know what does this person need And, um, and so I just I love people. Like I said, I said, relationship first kind of person. And um, I I just, it's very intriguing to me for people to look at me almost confused, because they just, after they have a conversation for the first time, they're like, you're different. Like, this is not like a normal conversation. And then I can say, it ain't me. Right. Let me tell you what that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's That's, you know, again, not to just sit there and like, I'm not trying to to be over spiritual with it or be uh, be cliche, but that's really what's driven me. And I don't know how people really get through the stresses of life because there are a lot of them and there's a lot of ups and downs and things that we don't have control over, but it's really easy to get uh, weighted by the weight of the world. And I'm just happy and thankful that I've got a heavenly father I can give all that to, and he can direct me through all of it and, and get better from so
1: inspiring man that's incredible thank you for sharing that Chad. really appreciate that so if people want to find more about you what you do here in the kansas city and the other markets that you're in where can they find you chad
0: they can find me you can find me on linkedin you can find me um in my days are spent i live in johnson county uh but i am a. I just i love the core cbd of kansas city so i spend almost all my days in the crossroads uh or the river market or downtown I'm working in some of our locations um but yeah we live in we live in south johnson county um i've got an instagram that i try and stay cool with you know i'm 34 years old but you know i try to still feel like i'm 27 28 um you you can find me on there as well but but other than that yeah i mean i would say you can reach out on really any platform and i'm probably there and would love to get a chance to to shake hands with new people as i'm always looking to learn people's stories
1: awesome Chad, thanks for your time and insights, man. I found this extremely valuable on many different fronts. I know our listeners will as well. So I appreciate you spending some time with us today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. as an honor. Thank you for tuning in to Invest for the Win. If you found this episode valuable, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think could benefit from the insights of our experts. Also, don't forget to take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Visit investforthewin.com to learn more.